Dimity knew she carried an 80% risk of developing breast cancer since she was 21 years old. Dimity's mother carried the BRCA1 gene mutation and unfortunately she passed this down to her daughter. But Dimity was proactive upon discovering she carried the mutation and booked in to get yearly breast MRIs. But unfortunately she received the devastating news that she had breast cancer when she was only 31 years old. We spoke with Dimity about how it felt to know she was at such a high risk of developing breast and ovarian cancer, what it was like to receive her diagnosis, and why she decided to participate in the Olympia clinical trial. My mum had uh, three primary breast cancers as I was growing up, and my grandmother died of ovarian cancer. So when there was the opportunity to get tested for the BRCA gene, my mum met all the correct criteria she went and did that and then um when when we found out that she was BRCA1 positive uh we had various discussions as a family and different family members have made their own decisions about going and get getting tested um and I decided at 21 I wanted to know I wanted to know about my gene status so I could um make decisions in life um and have a small element of control of something that I couldn't control. Um, And I just wanted to make sure that I could give myself the best chance possible um, going forward in my life. So uh, 21, you found out that you were, you had the BRCA1 gene mutation. So what was the process on from there? Um, What was required of you, I guess, to make sure that you were looking after your breast health and your overall health? Well, at that stage, there wasn't really anything to do. Um, my risk wasn't supposed to start until sort of my mid-30s and I was 21. So it was something that was there but kind of could do nothing about. So I um, didn't need to do uh, sort of any specific testing until I turned 27. Um, but at 27, I started having a yearly MRI and I had three of those um, in one of those MRIs, I had a thing called a PASH that came up, which is a irregularity that's uh, not a cancer. Um, but then with my fourth MRI, they picked up my cancer. So how old were you then? I had been 31 for two weeks. So pretty young and a bit sooner than we were probably expecting. So how was that to find out you're only 31 years old and, and you had breast cancer? It was a shock and it sounds weird. You know you have this gene where you have an 80% chance of getting breast cancer and yet you're still shocked when you get it. Uh, It it sounds insane, but you still are. Um, I think as humans, we all have this survival mechanism that makes us think that I'll be fine or it's not going to happen to me or I'll have all the surgeries before it happens because that was definitely my plan. I definitely planned to have a double mastectomy at 35 and my ovaries out at 40. That was the plan. Um, And even though I had that plan, it didn't go to plan, which is why there are other things that you have to do, which is why doing your testing is so important. Um, Because within that one year period, I'd gone from having no cancer to having a grade three cancer um, that was less than a centimetre big, which I never would have found without MRI, and it had already spread to my lymph nodes. So you know, thank goodness I was getting that testing. Thank goodness I knew my gene status um, because it would have been a very different situation for me today. 
And so when you went in for treatment, obviously a clinical trial was offered to you. Can you talk a bit about what you were told about that clinical trial and why you ultimately decided to participate? To be honest, I remember clinical trials were sort of put out there with all the other options, but they were the first steps to go through because uh, with most clinical trials, I presume that you have to do your basic standard of care. So for me, that basic standard of care was having um, my, my initially my cancer removed, um, having chemo, and then I had a double mastectomy and a full node clearance. So I had to do all those things first and then... The option, of, uh, the option of trials came back up and um, there were a number of different trials that were put before me and um, it was the Olympia trial in particular that stood out because the thing that Olympia did was it was finding a treatment for triple negative breast cancer where there wasn't one. And when I say there isn't a treatment, of course there's a treatment. Of course you, you have your cancer removed or a mastectomy and you have your chemo. But it's that post-active treatment um, that in that period of five years after you're diagnosed where you have that risk of reoccurrence, there was nothing for triple negs. So if you were a hormone-positive cancer, you would have your hormones switched off for five years. So you'd do your Zolodex for your five years or um, for some people, if they'd had their families and they're a bit older, they'd have their ovaries removed. And in no way am, am I saying that that would have been easy or that is easy for any of those patients, but at least there is an option and there is a way to try and prevent that cancer from coming back. If you have a HER2 positive cancer, you have the Herceptin treatment. But for triple negative cancer, where you're not hormone and you're not HER2, it was, it was crickets. There was nothing there for you. So being able to be part of the Olympia trial was not only giving me a treatment option, um, whether or not I got the placebo or not. Um, I also thought it was a way to contribute to be able to have that option going forward. So if I didn't get um, the drug, which was called Laparib, if I didn't get the drug, at the very least, I'd be making sure or finding the next thing that might be able to treat that next generation of women with triple negative breast cancer. And how did you find being on the trial in general? Do you feel like you were well supported, well informed about what was happening? Everyone's answering your questions? Yeah, it's like an army of people. And that's probably the best thing about being on a trial. It's not just, you know, you're doing a good thing. It's not just you're helping your own treatment outcomes. You also get this incredibly high standard of care. So I saw my oncologist, um, I think initially it was weekly, then fortnightly, and as we move through the trial, it may have been monthly. Um, but, you know, you don't normally see your oncologist that much unless you're in active treatment. So that is an extra level of care. But it's not just your oncologist, you see. You have this whole team of trial nurses, and they were just the best. I, I cannot shout out to the trial nurses more. They're the most lovely people. They check in on you, um, make sure that, you know, all of your... Um, side effects weren't really affecting your quality of life and you know for me on this trial the reality was I did have side effects and um, they were sort of a, a constant nausea and fatigue um, but we just trialed and errored our way through how to manage those and if we hit a brick wall um, for instance if something didn't work or we couldn't take something because it interacted with the drug we'd find another solution and we kind of did it as a team as a patient as a nurse and as an oncologist so um, for me specifically, the nausea was, wasn't great. Um, and the wonderful nausea drugs that I was taking during chemo, I couldn't use with this drug because it interfered. But um, 
we found a drug that worked. However, it made me sleeping. And because I was back at work, um, you know, I, I couldn't be falling asleep in the middle of the day. So we, we came up with all these different solutions and we ended up with, I took the drug at night, the, the anti-nausea drug at night. Um, and then I would just eat lots of small regular meals during the day. So anyone who's been pregnant or anyone who's had nausea before or anyone gone, has gone through chemo, chemo knows that constant snacking is a really good way to deal with nausea. So just workarounds um, and, you know, it was collaborative and it really felt like I was part of my care. Um, and, you know, I, if that's not a reason to get involved in a trial, to be have that extra level of care, um, I, 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 you know, I, I can't recommend it more. How were the people in your life, your family, your friends, your co-workers and your workplace in general, how were they, were they supportive in your choice to join a clinical trial after you finished that initial treatment? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this is integral for the success of trials as often trials are done at the end of standard treatment. And at that point, you're exhausted. You've been through all of it. Your family's exhausted, and if you've had a supportive workplace, um, they've probably been really flexible already for about six months. Um, so to have those support networks makes it easier to make the decision to go on the trial. Um, and family, I've been so lucky, and my friends have been so lucky, but you kind of expect that for them. Um, and that's not to say you take it for granted, but you know when people love you, they're, they're there for you. But having a supportive workplace is next level. And I think it's next level because if people can't afford to go on a trial because they're not working, we have less participants in trials. We have less um, uh, uh, positive outcomes coming out of them. We don't give those patients the best possible care because they've got financial barriers. Um, And we won't get to zero breast cancer deaths. So... If there's one thing I can say to anyone who's an employer listening to this is that if you support someone going through treatment, you're not just supporting them keep a social aspect of their life going through their treatment, you're helping them stay financially viable. Um, For a lot of people, they can still contribute to their super, which means in retirement, they're not being um, ending up in a really bad situation. I, I think what a lot of people don't talk about when it comes to breast cancer and it comes to cancer in general is the financial impact isn't just clinical costs it's also the fact that you can't work and that can be crippling in the long term for people so if you can be a workplace and you can be flexible and you can work around a patient not only will their financial outcomes be better um, but you'll also give them the opportunity to lean into extra treatments or lean into trials and have better outcomes for everyone in general. You're part of something bigger when you keep employing someone who's going through cancer treatment. What were some of the practical things that your workplace and your, you know, your organisation did for you that really, really helped that could possibly be implemented by other employers listening to this? Yeah, absolutely. So I had two different employers during my treatment. So one during my standard care treatment and one on my trial. So the employer during my standard treatment did things like I was traveling a lot for work and they made sure that I didn't have to travel as much. And if I did travel, which I still wanted to do because I still wanted to participate in life, they made it really flexible. Um, So flexibility is key. When you're going through chemo, you have good days where you can work and you have days where you're a space cadet. Like you, you have no idea what's going on. And with your workplace, just knowing some days they're going to get good you 
And other days they're going to get really tired or challenged you and they're okay with that. Um, Just being understanding and being flexible. I think the most amazing thing is, um, and I love that workplace, it was really good, um, but it was time for me to do something else in my career. And when I went for an interview with the current job um, I'm in, I was actually still having chemo. And I remember that first initial engagement, I said, oh, by the way, I've got this cancer thing, but I'm going to be fine. And my potential employer went, okay, and didn't blink. You can imagine how many people would just go, we don't want to take that risk on. Um, I got called to have my first proper interview, like your formal sit-down interview, whilst I was still in bed after having had my double mastectomy. And I said, hey, I've just had some surgery. Can I come in in two weeks? And they said, sure. So they pushed that interview back for me. And this is before I've even started. Um, And then when I started my trial, um, I had challenges with nausea. So no one asked questions when I was just sitting there nibbling on snacks in meetings or um, had to go, I just need to go get a, a, a drink or I have to do all those sorts of things. Um, no one asked questions about those things. I was still wearing a headscarf at the time because even though I did scalp cooling, I had lots of bald spots still. Um, people just thought like I was just a really out there fashion type person, which, you know, in a corporate office is probably not normally where you're going in your dress sense. But people just, you know, just thought it was just part of my look. Um, so, I'm, you know, just all of those things, treating you like a normal person, just giving you that flexibility. And I, I think if I hadn't have had that, how, how could I participate in a trial where I feel a bit sick all day? How can I participate in a trial where I get really tired and I, I definitely need 10 hours of sleep a night? Um, that workplace made my ability to participate in the trial possible. Um, so you could have had all the family support in the world, but they're not sitting there holding your hand at work. So you have to have your supportive workplaces as well to make trials possible and to give people the financial security that they used to not have at all. Um, And it's still a big issue with cancer treatments. And I just love to see workplaces, you know, put their hands up and say that they're a a cancer treatment friendly workplace. Or, you know, like we have breastfeeding friendly workplaces, how can we, you know, post COVID, we know we can work in flexible ways. Um, Let's take some learnings out of that and get some really good outcomes for cancer patients. And so what's your hope for the future of clinical trials research and breast cancer research and even triple negative research in general? I mean, you know, we'd, we'd love to get to a point where there's zero deaths from breast cancer, right? That's, that's where we all want to get to. Um, and we can't get there without science and we can't get there without patients being willing to participate in the science. So we need our researchers, we need our doctors and we need our patients all to work together to get to that outcome not one person can do it on their own so um yeah I, I think that's got to be the aim specifically for triple negative it it feels pretty incredible um to have been a part of this trial because it will be groundbreaking really when you think about going from zero treatment options to having one um you know that it's it's got the highest recurrence rate of all of the breast cancers Imagine if triple negative went from the scariest breast cancer to almost one of the better breast cancers to get because of this trial. That would be pretty cool. That was Dimity, a participant in the Breast Cancer Trials Olympia clinical trial. If you'd like to learn more about breast cancer trials or you'd like to support our life-saving research, 
Follow us on social media or visit our website at breastcancertrials.org.au.